Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen, amen, amen. What a privilege to be back at Potts Camp again and to see all your faces. And some of you I think I'm meeting for the first time, so look forward to hugging your neck and making a greater acquaintance with you. And always a great privilege when we get time to be with Pastor V and First Lady. We love these individuals, have great confidence in their anointing, their calling. So thankful for the, God, for the work of God that they're doing here in Bethlehem. And I do want to say what a, what a privilege it is for my wife to be with me. I don't always, she doesn't always get to travel with me. I think um, we figured out somewhere around 60% of the time. And she's uh, got responsibilities at home, grandbabies. And, uh, and also she has responsibilities because of her ministry. She's invited to go to places and speak as well. Sometimes we kiss in the airport. She goes one way, I go the other way. And we meet up after a few days. So when she's with me, it's a great privilege. And she adds so much to the ministry, and so I, I want to just publicly let her know how much I love and appreciate her. Amen. Would you look with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 23, begin reading at verse 5. I will share with you as we begin today what the Holy Ghost has put on my heart has been life-changing for me. And I know we hear stuff like that all the time, but this revelation that I'm going to preach to you today has changed my life more than anything else that I can think of. I'm praying that this moment of shift, Pastor, will happen in your spirit today. In the first four verses of Matthew 23, Jesus is instructing us that we should not be like the scribes and Pharisees because everything they do is about their reputation. It shows their pride, etc., Verse 5, he continues by saying, All of their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. That just speaks about a ceremonial show in the way that they minister. Verse 6, They love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi. Woo! Rabbi, but be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. I think we're with this so far, but verse 9 is going to kind of mess us up a little bit. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Call no man your father on the earth for you have one father and that's our heavenly father preaching today about daddy issues and before we get too far in this message I hope every one of us realize in the building and online that it's not directed to four or five around us that have had no father or abusive father no this is this is for all of us daddy issues God bless you you may be seated this phrase daddy issues is an informal phrase for the psychological challenges resulting from an absent or an abnormal relationship with one's father daddy issues 
There are things that fathers must provide for their children. Number one on my list would be unconditional love. Our children need to know that they are loved and there's nothing they can do that would separate our love for them. Sometimes we're not proud of them. Sometimes they make decisions that we know will hurt and destroy them, but they need to know our love is without condition. That's the way our Heavenly Father loves us. Also on this list would be provision. Father needs to provide food, housing of some sort. Needs to provide proper teaching, proper discipline. A father should protect the well-being of their children. That's physical well-being, but also emotional and absolutely spiritual well-being of their children. A father should teach their children good work ethics. My God, that's been exposed in the last two years in America. A father should spend quality time with their children should give wise counsel, on and on the list would go. And when fathers fail to do these things in relationship, deficiencies show up in the children that become landmark battles that your children face for the entirety of their lives. Not till they're 18 and out of the house. For the entirety of their lives. In fact, those of you who will recognize it We spend time trying to find some father figure in our life to put in us what we lack because we did not receive what we should have received. Emotional battles, psychiatrists and psychologists tell us, can be oftentimes or most often traced back to daddy issues. If you deal with depressions and angers and fears... This can be traced back to daddy issues. If you wonder why this generation is dealing with fears and anxiety more than any generation before, it's because the father figure has been destroyed in our culture. Daddy issues. Issues like suicide can be traced back to daddy issues. Many characters in the Word of God demonstrate this psychological challenge if you study And you're looking for it. I would submit to you that the very first child born to mankind had daddy issues. His name was Cain. And he dealt with anger and rebellion to such a degree. Not not to a small degree. To such a degree that he rebelled against his family and God and murdered his brother. Now if anybody has an excuse, maybe Adam, his father, does because... Adam was never a child. He was created full grown. He also never had a physical example of a father in his life. So maybe if anybody had an excuse, maybe Adam does. But we see Cain demonstrates this daddy issue. Looking a little further, you'll find two girls that we simply know as Lot's daughters. Who moved to perversion. Perversion, trying to get the respect and value from their father, even getting him drunk and having children by him. Daddy issues. Jezebel, we speak her name with disdain, but understand she's desperately trying to find a place where she is fulfilled and respected and loved when she takes authority that's not hers. In the New Testament, I would submit for your reasoning that Mary Magdalene, she whom Jesus healed of seven diseases or infirmities and delivered her from seven possessions. But what got her into that place? 
probably daddy issues. If you look at her life, you can see this demonstrated as she's now an older single living with her sister and brother. None of them are married. Daddy issues. I look through the Word of God and see these characters leaping out. But maybe the one that means the most to me is Jacob. Because Jacob is born second of twins. And when his brother Esau is born, (laughs) the the Bible says that he was ruddy-complected and hairy all over. Like Brother Gaston. Every inch of me covered with hair. Some of you know who Gaston is. If you don't, you can ask him. But when his dad saw this baby Esau that was born, he thought, I have produced a man's man at birth. And he dotes on Esau. Esau lives that out. He's a man of the forest. He kills 16 pointers before breakfast 10 times a year. I mean, this is who he is. He's Jacob, not so much. And it's easy to see that Isaac the father dotes on Esau. And it's like he's a little ashamed of Jacob. In fact, the only time Jacob receives the love, respect, the value, the blessing that he needs is when he dresses up like his brother and fools his blind daddy into thinking he's Esau. Then his father loves on him, blesses him. Shows him respect. It's no wonder why Jacob begins to live his life and immediately he jumps into the frying pan, into the fire when he marries not just two girls, but he marries sisters. Now, if you're foolish enough to marry two girls at one time, don't marry sisters. Can you imagine what that house was like? But he doesn't just marry sisters. He also has children from two other women that are not in covenant relationship with him. He's he's a mess. He's got character problems. He's got moral issues. It's why Jacob must go across that brook and there wrestle with a theophany or an angel of God and declare, I will not let you go until I'm changed, until you touch me, until I'm blessed. Every one of us have to have a wrestling match with God when we recognize who we are and we've got to deal with our stuff. Be honest with ourselves and say, yes, we have issues, we have stuff, and we've got to wrestle with God and not let Him go until we're changed. This is where Israel's that used to be Jacob's happened. Jacob, daddy issues big time. I see these characters because I've dealt with daddy issues most of my life. My mom was an older teenager when she came to the church for the first time, received the gift of the Holy Ghost. It was a tremendous revival there in San Bernardino, California, Elder Howard Davis's church back in the 60s. And there was a young gentleman that lived in that area that came to church in the same revival. He also received the gift of the Holy Ghost. They didn't know each other until that revival, but quickly they began to see and to notice each other. The pastor realized that they were getting very close together, and he counseled them that they needed to take things slow. (laughs) He said, you've 
You've got a brand new life. You've separated from all of your old friends. You're just getting into this new life. This relationship you're having here might want to slow down. So they got married in six months. In case you're wondering, that's not slow. I'm trying to help some counselors here. That's not slow. (laughs) And so they're married. Nine months from their wedding night, they gave birth to what would be my older sister. When mom was pregnant with me just two years later, her father took drugs and alcohol and committed suicide. Mom was a daddy's girl. And she never got over this situation in her life. She couldn't understand why her daddy, whom she loved with all of her heart, and who loved her, she had him wrapped around her finger, could get mad enough in an argument with the family that he would decide to just do this dastardly deed. In fact, he did this drinking and taking of these drugs and walked away from the house and was missing for three days until they found him in a ditch where he had succumbed to his overdose some days before. I am in my mother's womb and she spends her entire pregnancy crying, weeping, cannot get over. In fact, mom never learned to grieve properly. And Let me just say this, I'll just throw it out. But because she did not deal with things mentally and emotionally, later in her life she began to deal with dementias Because there was no way for her to deal mentally and emotionally with what she never dealt with in her early life. And so, mom now brings me into this world. And she is not doing well with the process of grieving. Just two years later, my dad was driving late at night. It was his habit to work at night and to work late. In a thunderstorm in Southern California, his foot never left the accelerator. His car careened off the road. The assumption was he was asleep. The car hit a small tree and it broke the seatbelt around his waist. His chest crushed against the steering wheel and dad went on to his reward. What they did not know at the time is that mom was pregnant with what would be my younger sister. And a mom that did not deal well with grief of her father is not doing well with the grief of her lost young husband. And she is just taking insurance money and trying to survive from one house to another house and whoever in the church would let her stay with them and trying to just exist. (coughs) Grandma said that at this time, mom never drove, never had driver's license. Grandma said that I would leave the city bus where mom had me sitting And would go down the aisle while we were driving through the city looking for some man that was tall and dark haired. Raising my chubby hands and saying, Daddy, want to be picked up. Even as a toddler realizing I needed something in my life. Meanwhile, all the way across the United States in a state called Georgia. There was a good man that had married and had two children. His wife had cancer. She passed on, went to her reward. But this man who would be my stepdad one day did not grieve well either because he was raised in an abusive situation, him and his sister in their home, and and now he just shut out all emotions and didn't deal with stuff. Somebody thought it would be a great idea to introduce these two broken, dysfunctional families together. 
And so the man that be my stepdad and my mom began to date. And when, when I say date, that's a very strong word. He's in Georgia. She's in California. He flew out one time to meet her. The second time he flew out, he married her. Their dating was not by cell phones. If you believe it or not, they didn't have cell phones at the time. They had landlines. <laughs> but a long-distance call, and I know you don't even understand that in this generation, but a long-distance call on a landmine in the late 60s from Georgia to California, 30 minutes could cost you $75 or more, and that was a lot of money in the late 60s. I heard two people say amen. Well, everybody knows it, I guess a lot of money in the late 60s. And so mostly they dated by snail mail. They wrote letters back and forth. When dad came out to meet my mom, he was not allowed to meet me. <laughs> in fact, I did not meet him until after they stood before each other and the pastor and said, I do. And then they're like, hey, by the way, here's your new stepson. <laughs> I... I I don't know why, I guess I was all boy, as they say, but this was the dysfunction of how we started a blended family. Mom had never grieved well, stepdad never grieved well, and the way they dealt with things was trying to act like it never happened. All throughout my growing up, I was never allowed to mention the name of my father. That's taboo, that's off limits. Didn't bring it up. My stepsister and brother were not allowed to mention the name of their mother because any time it was mentioned, they had to deal with the grief that they never dealt with. So it was just glossed over. In fact, years later after I was married and grown, I tried to get information from mom about dad. And because she had so forgotten, she couldn't tell me the slightest details. How tall he was, what color his eyes were, what their first date was. She had no clue. And I grew up not knowing my identity because... I was not allowed to even know my dad from proxy, from other people's information. When I tell you that our home was dysfunctional, it was dysfunctional. And if there was ever any problem that arose, a lamp broke or anything happened, it was Armageddon. It was your son said this and your daughter did that and, you, and it was separation and division. And lack of unity. God helped us so much in the family. But I'm telling you, never dealing with their stuff caused it to be dysfunctional in every area of our family. I remember the first time that a man told me he loved me. It was Brother Feesman from the church. We had one of them great prayer meetings. I believe it was a foot washing night. He came up to me with tears in his eyes, wrapped his arms around me. I'm 15 years old. And he says, Tim, I love you. And I'm thinking, you know, what is this pervert doing? <laughs> and then I'm thinking, why is my heart pounding so strong? Why does this even matter to me? When I could get out of his arms, I ran over to the corner and trying to talk to God about what is happening. Why does this even matter? What do I care? It looks like he really means it. And what does this mean to me? Never had any man tell me he loved me in honesty. When I began to date, I lived daddy issues out completely. I wasn't trying to hide things. I told all the girls I dated in the youth group and those that I dated outside the youth group that... Uh, 
I want to meet a million girls. I want to fall in love with a million girls. I want a million girls to fall in love with me, and I did my best to do that. I wasn't trying to break hearts and be a player, although that was a reputation I got. But I was desperately needing somebody to fall head over heels in love with me so I felt like I would have value. And if they would give me their emotions, then somehow I felt like that was strength I need. Big time daddy issues. Got me in a ton of trouble. I remember pastor telling me growing up, your problem, Tim, is that you don't love anybody. And I was offended. I said, Pastor, that is wrong. And he said, tell me who you love. And I said, well, I love maybe mom. Maybe my real sisters. I wouldn't have said myself because I sure didn't feel that. And I realized that he was, he was right. Dysfunction. But there came a time in my life, and I'm not just talking about when I went to an altar and thank God for repentance and forgiveness and the washing, but there came a time in my life after I'd been filled with the Holy Ghost for years that I had to come to grips with my stuff and realize that I have issues that I need help with, and I've got to have a God that can do what no individual can do. I have had hope from this passage of Scripture, Hebrews 4 and 15. It says, We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And growing up, I knew this, that Jesus Christ was my high priest. And everything I needed, he was the door. He was the path. He was the way. And that if I went to Jesus, then I could find what I needed in God because he's my high priest. But when I began to deal with my daddy issues, I wanted to know, is this true? Because the scripture doesn't say, hey, he's going to have compassion on you no matter what. It said he feels the very feelings of my infirmities. That the things that I think of when I'm operating in daddy issues, the emotions that I'm struggling with this issues is upon me. He felt the same things. He experienced the same things. And he overcome. The difference between me and him is that he was out of sin. But he still felt and he still experienced these same things. When I began to look at this and deal with my stuff, I wanted to take a fresh look at Jesus Christ and see if I can't find that he felt this and he thought these things and he went through these issues. It's easy to see from the very first instance that we find that he was conceived outside of wedlock. We're not shocked by that today because we all know that the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary and that was God that produced this child. But they did not believe it at the time. Just think if one of these precious young people got pregnant and came up and said, don't worry because this is of the Holy Ghost. That's right. How difficult would that be for us to believe? And it was the same way then. In fact, the man that she was engaged to, Joseph, no, did not want the baby, and he did not want to marry her anymore. He wanted to put him away. That's what the Scripture says. And it's not until God gives Joseph a dream, and in the dream says, what is in Mary is of God. You need to marry her and raise this child that we find Joseph marries her. But somehow we think that all of a sudden he's jumping up and clicking his heels, and whoa, what a great opportunity. Probably not. 
Probably he's thinking, how come I have to muddy my reputation with the girl that cheated on me in our engagement? Now I know he has a dream from God. But how many times did he doubt the dream? How many times did he think, well, maybe I just had too much pizza the night before when I had that dream? How many times did he think, was it really from God? We have dreams and prophecies and promises, and we still doubt the things that God has given us. In fact, I think that I can show you this. Obviously, when the half-brothers and sisters of Jesus came to see him in ministry, the Bible is clear that they did not believe in his ministry. His half-brothers and sisters did not believe he's the Messiah. They did not believe that he was the Christ. They did not believe that Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Ghost. They thought it was all a scam. My question is, where do they get that from? Not from Mary, not their mama. Obviously, she knew she was there. But it had to be the doubts that came from Daddy in that home every once in a while. Understand the only child that's different in that home is Jesus. Everybody else has their mother and their father in that home and it's a happy union. And I understand what that's like because after the five of us got together in our dysfunctional home, mom and dad said, hey, let's have two more children. But when these two children were born, they were angels. At least in mom and dad's eyes. And if we didn't say that and think that, you know, we were in trouble. They were the special. There was no hiding it. They were the special ones. If I'd have walked in the room, there'd have been some kind of accusation. If they had walked in the room, it'd been, oh, baby, come give a hug. It was dysfunctional. Jesus must have felt that way. They hear everybody here is part of this family. And I'm not believed on. I'm not respected. There is a powerful scripture that you'll find in the gospel of Luke that talks about Jesus when he's 12 years old. I'm telling you, I'm blown away that this was written in the scripture. Understand what's happening. His stepfather, Joseph, is not only a carpenter, probably he is a businessman. They've got a vacation planned to Jerusalem. They've got a certain amount of time. He's got a schedule. He's got to get back to fulfill the schedule. They go to Jerusalem. They have their vacay. Now they're coming back home. They are a day's journey, and they look around and realize 12-year-old Jesus is not with them. Now, remember how it feels when you lose your child in Walmart for 15 minutes. And the fear that goes through you and the thoughts, they have been kidnapped and sold into sex trafficking. Mary had to be thinking thoughts like this. He is beaten and mugged and bleeding from his head in a ditch somewhere because someone wanted the $5 allowance in his pocket. And she is frantic. I'm not talking about 15 minutes at Walmart. I'm not talking about six hours at Six Flags. I'm talking about a whole day. He's had to sleep somewhere that night. He's had to have meals and eat. They are frantic. They began to go back to where they first or when they last saw him. It takes them two days to find him. Now he's been three days surviving somehow. He's 12. Surviving somehow. Mary is frantic. She's got added pressure. She's got spiritual pressure because God has invested in her, the Christ child, and she has lost the Messiah. 
So when they finally discover him, they're blown away because 12-year-old Jesus is in the church and he's blowing the church pastors and leaders away with his knowledge and with the authority that he has in the Word of God. We're all amazed. They're all amazed. I tell you who's not amazed? Mama. Because when you read what she says, and I'm just going to paraphrase a little bit, she says to him, first of all, you have been immature and you have been selfish. You have been not thinking of anything except yourself. That's the word she's saying. And then she speaks to him and tells him that he should be responsible for his life and for thinking of. And when Jesus begins to respond, or he's 12 years old, he rebukes his mama on two levels. The first thing that he says is, I can understand that my half-brothers and sisters don't believe in me. And I can understand that my stepfather doesn't believe in me. But you of all people should know. Don't you know? I must be about my father's business. And the second rebuke is this. By the way, that's not my daddy. This is daddy issues big time. He's dealing with these struggles that they don't believe in who he is. They don't know his anointing, his calling. He's not revered and respected like he should be. And he's got all of these emotions. That's why the scripture's clear to us that immediately afterwards they go back to Galilee and there Jesus grows in wisdom and in stature and respect and favor. He matured dealing with these issues. He's without sin. But he felt the same things. Thought the same thoughts that we deal with. It's not just in his upbringing. It's absolutely in his ministry. Luke 14 and 26, Jesus makes this statement. If any man come to me and hate not his father, he cannot be my disciple. Whoa. Why are you being so harsh? Why why don't you say, Jesus, you know, You can be my disciple. You might have to make some decisions that your daddy's not going to be happy with. Instead, he says, no, you'll be my disciple. Got to hate your daddy. It's it's like when we uh, built tree houses out in the woods, and, and as soon as we got it finished, we painted on the side of it, no girls allowed. Cootie givers. What were we thinking, It's like Jesus is starting a club and all these people are going to follow him and his first question is, you hate your daddy? Well, no. Well, you can't be a part. An exclusive club of daddy haters. It's not just one or two places. It's over and over. There's a disciple in Luke 9 and 59 that wants to follow Jesus to the end of the world, but his dad is sick and they're very close to his family. He says, just just give me a couple of days to go bury my father to honor him. Then I will go where you ever you want me to go, do whatever you want me to do. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Now, how does that happen? Zombies digging graves? He's saying, you're trying to make a decision that's eternal based on emotions of something that's very carnal and natural, temporal. When you make eternal decisions, it better be on eternal information. Not something you heard somebody say, but you better go to a book that is eternal and find out exactly what it says. This is more than one place, it's everywhere. We know this is not 
a true depiction of what the Word of God is telling us. For even the Ten Commandments, one of the commandments says that we are to honor our father and our mother. We know that. In fact, it's the first covenant with promise. That if we honor our father and mother, we'll, days will be long upon the earth. We hear Jesus in the Gospels fighting for this principle when he tells them your traditions of taking money that should be spent for your parents and saying it's designated for the kingdom. That is making the law of God of none effect to your tradition. Jesus fights for this same thing. So what are we seeing here in the Gospels where Jesus plainly says, call no man your father. And you've got to be willing to hate your father. The key here is to understand the Hebrew. Now, the New Testament, of course, is Greek. And Jesus perhaps was speaking Arabic or perhaps Greek. But obviously, all the Jews carried their language of Hebrew and taught it to their children. In fact, you'll find Jesus speaking it several times in the Scripture. On the cross, Eli, Eli, lama sabbathani. This is Hebrew words. We find the disciples speaking Hebrew words when they speak about Shiloh, meaning actually Shiloh, which is sent, and et cetera, et cetera. A lot of times in the scripture, you'll see them using Hebrew words. So when Jesus says, call no man on earth your father, the word father here is very important. Now, the ancient Hebrew language is, is so incredibly perfect. Most theologians believe that God himself gave this Hebrew language to his people. Because language and word and verbiage shapes mindsets. What you say shapes your mindset, your thought process. And so this was the language that we believe God gave to people. The language is so perfectly... In English, for example, A means what? Nothing. A means A. But every letter in the Hebrew alphabet has a specific meaning. And when you join a specific letter with another letter with another letter to make a word, every meaning of the letters pulled together have a beautiful picture of what that true meaning of that word is. It's perfect mathematically. That doesn't make sense in English or Spanish because A doesn't mean anything. But every letter in the Hebrew has a numerical value. Again, which has meaning and join the words together, letters together to make a word and now has a combined meaning. It's, it's perfect. The first word in the Hebrew dictionary is the word transliterated into English, ob, A-W-B. That's where they get the word father from. It's the first word in their dictionary. It means more than father. It literally means primary source. That makes sense. Why it's translated father often? Because you've got to have a primary source to have children. And when a father begets, he has children. So this is the understanding that they have here. Those that Jesus is speaking to here in Jerusalem and those the disciples are listening to call no man your father. Because this is a primary source. The Jews are huge on lineage. Because in their mindset, and this is more than a Jewish mindset, this is a heaven, this is a godly mindset, that if you trace your lineage back to a primary source of fatherhood, everything that fatherhood is, you can be. Because that's your source. That father, that's your primary source. This is why we see four times in the Old Testament that the sins of the father, the iniquities of the father, are visited upon the children to the third and fourth generation. 
There is no way around that. You want to know why I have daddy issues? Iniquities of the fathers. When psychiatrists tell us today that we're not all born the same, that some of us have tendencies of addictions in our emotions and our minds, some of us have tendencies toward perversions, that's not a lie, that's true. We don't like that in America because our Constitution tells us that we're all created equal. That's not what that means in our Constitution, that we're all the same. It means we have equal opportunity, equal option as citizens, no matter where you come from, what color, what gender, etc. But we fight that as Americans in our Western mindset. And the truth of the matter is, the iniquities of the Father visit upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Nothing you can do about that. You've got to deal with it. Your children are going to be affected by the iniquities and the choices that you make. That should give us a thought. But here's the hope. Exodus tells us that God shows mercy to thousands of them that love Him and keep His commandments. What I want you to see is He doesn't say those that are born again. Those that become the family of God. He said those that love Him and keep His commandments. This is how you break the generational curse. It's not speaking tongues until you're blue in the face and fast until your belly falls off. You've got to love the Lord and keep His commandments. That's how you break generational curse. It's the Word of God. If you are reading the Word of God, how many of you read the Word of God through last year? Some. Churches put more emphasis on it than other churches. I, I, I love that people read the Word of God through. I don't usually do that every year. I spend more time on one passage of Scripture than other passages of Scripture. I do more studying and, and than I do of reading. But if you begin to try to read through the Word of God, you're going you're to get the Chronicles and even the Gospels. You're going to find page after page where it says something like, Shadubidai begets Sisibito. And Lebibilo was the father of Chakatata. You know, and you're thinking, oh, well, I've got to read this entire three or four or five pages. So, done. Because it means absolutely nothing to us. Now, if you delved into the meaning of the names and did research, there would be powerful understanding. But why do they spend all that time in the holy, infallible Word of God? Two of the Gospels do the lineage also because they're proving they have a primary source. In the Jews' mind, if they can trace their lineage back to Abraham, because Abraham was blessed of God, he's my primary source, I'm blessed of God. Abraham's covenant with God, I'm covenant with God. He's the primary source. Jesus blows them away when he says, I could raise up of these rocks to be children unto Moses or children unto Abraham. He, he blew them away. Understand that Jesus, throughout the Old Testament, okay, throughout the Old Testament, God is not called Father. No. Five or six places you'll find, and every one of them are prophetic to when the coming of Christ comes. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. There's one God. His name is Jesus. Fullness of the Godhead. Everybody understands this, right? But when Jesus shows up, He starts, he starts talking about, well, God my Father speaks to me and I do His will. And they are blown away because in their mindset, if he's calling God his father, then he can be equal 
Everything his father is, he can be. Now, now let me show you this is absolutely bi- biblical. Chapter 5 of Gospel of John, verse 18 says this. The Jews sought the more to kill Jesus because he had not only broken the Sabbath. That's why we think they wanted to kill him. But the scripture says they sought to kill him because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So when Jesus shows up, the begotten son, and he's saying, my father said this, and I'm sent from my father above, they are blown away because that's why they think he's a heretic. Because everything that God is, he's saying he can be. This is what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. God, Christ being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. His primary source of fatherhood was God. So this is why in Jesus Christ is the headquarters of God. One of the most powerful wonder scriptures is a prophecy from Isaiah. When he said unto us, a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called. Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. Oh, when the Messiah comes, he will be the everlasting father. (laughs) So the only time that it becomes fatherhood is after the begotten of the son. And who's called? The Messiah is called the everlasting father. It's a great one God scripture. Why is this so important? Some of you are a little uneasy. I know I've only been here. This is our third time, but I think you'll hear the revelation as we go. I'm so thankful for my apostolic heritage. I was raised in oneness apostolic Pentecostal church services. My first days that I was on this world, I came to church because, you know, when the doors were open, we came. When the prayer room was open, we went. We, we just wanted to be faithful to the house of God and the vision that God was given the leadership of the house of God. And so I was raised in this. I tell you that I've heard all the stories of the Old Testament and the New Testament a zillion times. In fact, when first generation Sunday school teachers would try to teach us, I'd correct them. I don't recommend that, by the way, but the, I, I knew the stories better than they did. Heard this all my life. I've heard Deuteronomy 6 and 4 all my life. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. Anybody know how many gods there are? This is what we teach our grandbabies and our children when they're first learning to talk. How many gods are there, Bobby? Did you hear that? One God. We are so thankful, and we should be, for the revelation that we have that there is one God. His name is Jesus. Let me say this. We have an epidemic moving among the oneness apostolic movement. When second and third generation people are leaving the oneness message and are serving a triune God. How can that happen? Because revelation has to happen and that is a personal experience with God. You can have understanding all day long. You can hear Deuteronomy 6 and 4 all day long and it not make a revelation in you. In fact, when a one God Jew received this revelation, Simon Peter, Jesus said, flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you. 
Do you know what he said? He said, I believe you are the son of the living God. He didn't say, oh, you're the one true God. He said, you're the son of the living God, which meant everything that God is, is in Christ Jesus. You're the son. He's the father. And Jesus said, flesh and blood. It doesn't matter how many rabbis have taught you this, how many times you've had to quote it in Sunday school. It's not flesh and blood that has taught you. But you had a personal revelation with the Father. Until you get a father relationship that you want to know him as his son and begin to pursue him for that knowledge, you might have understanding, but you won't have revelation. If you get revelation, you'll never lose it. Our young people, we, we can't just assume that our children, our young people, and new converts are just going to get it by osmosis. They have to have a personal revelation for themselves. So growing up in the oneness apostolic message and celebrating and being so thankful of this revelation of the one God, I've watched us protect our revelation. Don't have to protect it. It's everywhere in the Word of God. It's truth. It's revelation. And if you have a personal revelation, you don't have to protect it. But we have protected it. In fact, when is the last time that you've heard a oneness apostolic preacher preach about the baptism of Christ? You know why we don't preach about it? Because you've got Jesus in the water, you've got the Holy Ghost flying like a dove and a voice from heaven. We don't have any problem with that. We all understand that God is everywhere present and He can speak here in Bethlehem and at the same time He can be speaking across the world and across the... He can speak everywhere present. That's who He is. But we don't preach it because we don't want new people to be confused. Do you know how valuable this story is? Jesus has not raised one person from the dead. He's not opened one blind eye. What he has done is has merged himself in the anointing, the calling of what he is leading himself into. And Father speaks from heaven and says, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. You're talking about getting rid of daddy issues. We do this. We read a text where over and over Jesus will say, The Father, the Father, the Father. And we'll read it correctly as we're reading the text. And we'll preach an entire message and never call him Father again. But please don't be confused. There's one God. His name is Jesus. But we have developed generations of individuals that deny a relationship of God as our Father. And we have daddy issues. And no amount of speaking in tongues is going to get us over the fear, the anxiety, the perversions, the addictions, and the things that we have. We've got to have daddy in our life, and that naturally gets us over it. <laughs> Let me show you why this is so important. When you begin to study this out, you'll find over and over that the the greatest position that we have of faith when God is our Father is that He's a giver. In fact, James 1 and 17 tells us every good gift and every perfect gift. That there is no way around that. If you have ever received any good gift or any mature or perfect gift, the Bible says it comes from above and cometh down from the... But you know who we ask for gifts? Jesus now, it's not wrong there's one God, but it's a paradigm shift of the relationship of what we're operating in when we're asking God for something. 
Matthew 7, 11 says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more should your Father in heaven good, good gifts? I can't tell you how I love to give good gifts to my children. And when I think about how I feel about wanting to bless them with gifts, the Bible says in comparison, I'm evil to how much my heavenly Father wants to give me gifts. Now my half-sister, this is one that was born after the families came together. I watched my half-sister walk up to my stepdad and say, Dad, I need $50. And I, I thought, here comes Armageddon. He's going to backslap her and she's going to slide across the driveway. And, I, and to my utter surprise, he laughed, hugged her close, reached in his wallet. Dad was tight as a drum. He found that secret compartment in his wallet where he kept the big bills, pulled out a 50 and gave it to her. He didn't ask her, have you done your chores? He didn't ask her, now nah, I've got to feed seven mouths here, so you know, you know I hope you, this is really valuable. What you, he didn't ask her anything. He just loved on her and she went off. I had to pick my jaw up off the ground because I was shocked. I'd have been scared to death to ask that man for $5. The difference is she knows she has a daddy that loves her. I'm not so sure. When you get this revelation, your faith goes to a higher place because now you're not asking some holy God that is so righteous and we who have so many mistakes for somehow mercy and grace again. You're talking to your Father who loves to give good gifts to you. Let me move quickly. Luke 12 and 32 said, It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. John 14 and 6 says, it's your Father that will give you the comforter. Matthew 6 and 4 says, if you give in secret, your Father will reward you. You pray in secret, your Father will reward you. Matthew 6, 15, Mark 11, 25 and 26 says, it's actually your Father that forgives you. Let me tell you something. If I had made mistakes and I come to a holy God at this altar and I'm saying, God, you have been so good to me and so faithful to me. How can I even ask you for forgiveness again? My faith level is at a certain level. But if I come and say, Father, I messed up again, but I know how much you love me now. My faith level is at a higher place and condemnation doesn't destroy me. In fact, when Jesus talks about the Holy Ghost, He said it's the promise of the... And we pray to Jesus to give us the Holy Ghost. Again, there's one God, His name is Jesus. But we pray to Jesus to give us the Holy Ghost. We ask the Savior to give us the Holy Ghost. We ask for the atmosphere to do something for us for crying out loud. And we don't realize it's a promise from our Heavenly Daddy. How much more faith and easier to receive the Holy Ghost when we know that our Heavenly Father wants to give it to us? In fact, the very communication that we should have as we talk to God, any prayer that we have, this is what Jesus said to the disciples. He didn't say, you know, here's a good outline for you. He said, when you pray, say this. Our Father. This is the very basis. Every time that we think about talking to Him, we should be saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. 
Yes, we celebrate him. We understand who he is. I hope you're not getting confused here today because there's one God. His name is Jesus. But the paradigm shift we have to have is the relationship that he wants with us first and foremost is that he is our father. Do you remember what John 4, 23 says? But the hour cometh. And now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeketh such. We sing worship songs to Jesus, to the atmosphere, to the Savior, to the Lord, to God. But how many songs don't just mention Father as a title, but how many songs worship Him as the Father? I can think of three. Thousands! that speak about everything else, but three of them actually worship Him as a Father. One is one we don't sing anymore. Heavenly Father, I appreciate you. What a good song. We've got one, the good, good Father. Came popular a few years back. There's one other song about a Father, I lift up my hands to you. These are the only songs that I have heard in years of being in apostolic services that actually worship the Father. But the Scripture tells us it's the Father that wants us to worship Him. When you come into a worship service, you've got to get a mindset that your Father is here and you want to worship and exalt and bless Him. If you come with any other relationship, you're going to deal with condemnation. You're going to deal with doubt and your faith level is going to be less than what it should. Okay, let's wrap this up. I've been too long. The text actually says this. Call no man your father. So what that is saying is Call no man on earth your primary source for fatherhood in your life. Because the old timers used to preach that in the heart of every one of us is a God-shaped hole. Have you heard that? It's like the last piece of a puzzle and nothing will fit that puzzle, empty space except that one piece. That's the way God is. It don't matter what you give yourself to, drugs, alcohol, perverse, nothing will fulfill that place in your life like God. And by the same token, God has created in every individual a father-shaped hole. But here's the problem. No man can fulfill what you need. It doesn't matter if he was the superintendent of all superintendents of the one. It doesn't matter. He's not created to have the ability to fulfill fatherhood in you like you need. And so we've got daddy issues. Past two years, I've experienced things that have been heart-wrenching. Good friends of ours that are in church leadership, pastor and pastor's wife, different situations. And I've had to go to their funeral because... They took their lives. Now that just doesn't make sense. How could someone that's not only a tongue talker, but ministering to others and studying the Word of God, and get, how could they decide to take their lives? And we've got no excuse for it. We have no excuse for it. We stand in our piety and look across a group of people and preach somehow like our congregation is not dealing with fears and anxieties and have perversions that they got condemnation over because over and over they're trying to get over and they fall into the same pornography and the same emotional battles. And, that. and we just act like, well, if you got the Holy Ghost. I, in horror, listen to our leaders. Speak at one of these funerals. 
And they said basically you can't look at the last moments of their life and try to determine who they are. You've got to look at the totality of their life and see what a great mother, what a great father, what a great pastor, what a great minister, what a great author, what a great blah, blah, blah. If that's what we're going to preach as doctrine, what we're telling our young people who are dealing with a society of depression and suicide, is it, well, you just hang around the church for a little while and then you're going to be fine to commit suicide. And our leaders made statements like, she's in heaven right now. Everything's hunky-dory. The reason why we make statements like that is because we don't know how in the world someone could do that. And from whatever background you have, you look at somebody else and say, how in the world don't you just quit drinking? Don't you just quit the pornography? Why don't you just quit the fear? And don't realize that that's the symptoms of things like daddy issues. And we as a movement, the oneness movement, have created a people that are afraid to call our Father because somehow someone's going to think we're Trinitarian. In reality, this is the answer to overcoming power in our life and to a higher place of faith and revelation. Stand with me. I just felt revelation dropping in our hearts. Okay. I hope everyone in the place and online is realizing, you know, it wasn't just that one or two, but I have daddy issues as well. Start realizing they need help. The first thing that we have to do is we've got to release our earthly fathers. Because whatever we need, no matter how great they were or how terrible or absent or violent, or it doesn't matter. They did not have the ability to fulfill what we need to fulfill. You don't have to let it go. What that means is you're not going to have to say, well, when he tells me I'm sorry, then I'll... Th-. Well, no. You've got to let that go. Well, when he apologizes for being... Ab- you just got to let that go. You've even got to let it go if he was a great father and feel like I'm justified. I don't have daddy issues because, no, he could not provide what you need. You've got to release that earthly father. And you've got to look to God as your primary source of fatherhood. Because it's not so important that you can trace your lineage back to a physical heritage. But you've got to have a new birth experience where Father births you again, born again into the kingdom through baptism, water baptism, penance, remission of sins, and infilling of the Holy Ghost. And that new birth experience must do more. That's not your ticket to heaven and salvation. That's your birth into the family. And now those that are going to overcome are those that now love Father and keep His commandments. You know, the Jews understand this greatly. They, they don't give their, their name and their authority to their boys. Not until the bar mitzvah. Because up until 12 or 13 years of age, that child is learning to respect the name of his father. To respect the character of his father. To learn the, the vision. and the, This is all the things that he's learning. And when the father feels like, hey, he's finally got it. Now he's my son. Just because he was born to me doesn't mean he's my son. 
But now he's my son because my fatherhood is now in him. I, I know we just want to do what every other denomination does and says, here's your salvation. Check the box. It's about a father relationship with God. And all this stuff. So, I'm going to give two altar calls today, real quickly if I can. But I'm asking for some individuals who are just realizing, (laughs) this is the word I need. And you're willing to release your earthly father, no matter how good or bad, and make your way down to the front as a sign to our God you want him to be your primary source of father. Just come stand in the front. Don't give yourself to worship yet. Just come stand in the front. Okay, I'm going to move quickly because I've been so lengthy. Everyone that's responding right now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to think afresh of every promise in the word of God that's for us. But don't see it as a saint promise. See it as a promise from your Father to you. Now it makes a little difference when you know that every hair of your head is numbered. That's not some God that just has all this great information. Oh, He lost 55 hairs and He gave... No. It's a loving Father that as you lay your head down at night, He's he's looking through that. That the plans He has for you our plans of blessing. I'm not talking about a God. I'm talking about a Father that has plans for you. So you've got to know how valuable you are. You are the elect. You are His pet. You are His special one. And now for just a couple of minutes, I want you to come from the faith of what the Word of God says about you and talk to Him and call Him Father. No, no, no. Some of you need to call him daddy. So for the next two or three minutes, know who you are as the beloved, the elect, and just call him father and speak to him for just a couple of prayers. Do that right now. Dad, you are the best. You who knows me most, loves me. I can boldly come to your throne because you're my father. That's beautiful. There's a healing that is moved in this place. Now, let me talk to you for just a second. Put your hands down and open your eyes. Look at me. How many of you big time struggle with calling him father? Let me see your hands. Big time. It's not just because when you say, for some of you, the abuse of a father and it's very difficult for you to say that but for others of you you just haven't done this and you feel like that you're coming against you know the oneness message you're not it's a paradigm of the relationship you have with him hey Bubba what's your first name David Devin there's an anointing upon you Devin But I see generational curses that are trying to destroy you. And it's not that you don't have willpower and a love for God and a sensitivity to the Spirit. You have all of that, Bubba. But you're dealing with daddy issues, Devin. 
Your ministry is going to be loose, Devin, when you begin to let God be your father. And things that have held you back because daddy can't trust you because you've not gotten over stuff now, it's going to fall off your back and the doors will open. What's your name, darling? I know I've spoke to you before. Is that correct? Come here. Don't you turn and look at this people. You see Elizabeth? She's so beautiful. But I'm not talking about her, her shape and her features. I'm talking about when I see her. I see Daddy in her. I see a compassion that she has. And a deep sensitivity. I see a lot of hurt and brokenness. And when she worships, how beautiful is that? From a place of scars and hurts, how she can lift up in vulnerability in the presence of our God. I see my daddy in her. That's why it's so easy to love you. And to love you, we're all brothers. It's so easy because when I see you, I don't see your particular personality and your quirks and this. I see, I see Daddy. Because each and every one of you have qualities of Him. He's invested who He is and begotten it in you. And that's, that's amazing. And if I truly love Daddy, it's easy to love you because you're the Son. In fact, the Scripture tells us when we pray, don't say, oh, my daddy. It says, are. There's no way you can have church problems among saints of God when you get this revelation truly in your heart. Last year was a good year. This church pastor told me so. But 2023 is a year, I feel this prophetically, of resurrection, of restoration, and of clarity or of understanding. And this is going to start right here today, the first day of this year, with a revelation of who He is. We've got to get, it can't just be a service that happens on Sunday morning. We, we have got to start praying this way. Language changes our mentality. we got to start. If I'd have stood here today and said, let's all pray, Father God, you looked at me like I lost my mind. But that's biblical for His sons. I'm appealing to our songwriters. Somebody write more songs and worship our Father. We've got to exhort this way. We've got to quit being afraid that somehow someone's going to misunderstand us. We've got to preach the Word of God and call Him our Father. In fact, the greatest power that you'll have, what Jesus speaks to us so, so powerfully in John 14 and 15, when He says, you want to know how I can raise the dead and open the blinded eyes and change it. It's because I only do what my Father tells me to do. You know how we don't operate in the depths of that dimension? We don't talk to Father. How can Father tell us what to do? Move over close to somebody. I'm, I'm done. Move over close to somebody if you will. Because we need to do more than just... your name I thought you said Abraham 
know anybody in your generation named Abraham? Avery. Avery, you're driven because you want to you want people to see you have value and you're driven to do things but there's a condemnation upon you because you're trying to prove but when you get this revelation Avery now you're just going to do it because that's what your father does it's, it's the family thing to do and not be driven by condemnation of so much what people think and what they say and what they do. You have been hurt recently by words that have been spoken to you. That have tried to tear you down, make you feel like you don't have value. Your healing is not just in time passing. Your healing is to understand the value. How much your Father loves you. There's a healing across this place right now. If you would join with those that are touching you, that you're touching, that you're praying for. I want you to lift. I need some intercessors to lift their voice. But nobody pray to Jesus. Everybody pray to the Father just today. You can pray to Jesus. That's appropriate later. But now, let's call out to the Father. Let healing happen right now. Would you give good gifts to your children, Father? Healings. Miracles. If you need the Holy Ghost, your Father has a promise of the Holy Ghost for you. Would you lift your voice high as we're worshiping at the Holy Ghost ministry? Help us. Just lay hands on people. Let the gifts of the Spirit operate.
ask the Father to bless them. Pray for the blessing of your Heavenly Father on your brothers and sisters. Thank you, Jesus. That's right. Minister one to another. In the name of Jesus. Heavenly Father, let your glory rest on my church family. In the name of Jesus, let your face shine upon them, God. Let the goodness of your countenance be turned toward them. Let the blessings of your hand be on their life, Father. Oh, that's right. Pray a blessing. There's something that's released in your life when you pray a blessing on someone else's. Thank you, Jesus. You 
get back what you give out. So if you'll give blessings, you'll get blessings. So why don't you just pray blessings on your family right now, on your church family. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. I feel like just lifting our hands to heaven. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Can you just praise him? Lord, I worship you, Father. I praise you. Oh, I love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. of us, this is a turning point. I see some, I've seen some people this morning respond that over the course of the years that I've known, I understand some things. And I've watched as the mercy of God in a gentle way has come and turned mindsets. Oh, thank God for it. My father's generation, Brother Patton, wasn't great at showing emotion unless they were mad. I'm not speaking about your fathers. I'm talking about my father's generation. And so, I remember more times of fear than I do of faith. I spent more time afraid of what might happen than enjoying presence of my father I'm not, I'm not blaming my dad as much as I might be blaming my approach to my dad some of us when we think about God all we think about it is in terms of punishment if 
I don't do this, this will happen. Don't we? We think of him in punitive ways. Anybody? Am I wrong or am I right? And so we do what we do, not necessarily because of love, but because of fear of results and outcome. And it comes across in our worship when we worship from obligation, not from relationship. Based on this message, when we walk through those doors tonight, there ought to be a worship that comes up. Not because we're afraid not to, but because we know that He's my source of everything. He's my reason for everything. Why don't you lift your hands and thank God for the Word this morning and for His anointing. Amen. Why don't you just say it with me? Father, thank you for preaching to us. Thank you, Father, for talking to us. Thank you, Father, for sending your Word into our life revelation and understanding. Help us to walk in this truth. Help us to relieve ourselves of fear and apprehension and to walk in the promise of your good gifts. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Tonight's going to be awesome. Six o'clock prayer, 630 church.